In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edom, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? For my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to do with us our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, wonderful to see you uh, at church this morning. Uh, my name is Huey, if we haven't met before, and uh, I'm uh, the Prime Minister uh, at the Nine O'Clock Service. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, it's really exciting for us to have you with us. And so I uh, hope you can stick around a bit afterwards so that we can uh, get to know you, you better. Uh, well, keep your uh, Bibles open at Zechariah chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, this passage as we start this series together. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, throw up your hand, and uh, someone will bring a Bible for you. Um, and it will be important that uh, we look closely uh, at what God is saying to us uh, on the pages of Scripture. So uh, don't be shy to throw up your hand, and uh, somebody will come around with a Bible. But uh, let me lead us in prayer. And uh, we'll have a look at this uh, passage together. Let's pray. Uh, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for gathering us together this morning uh, around your word and with each other uh, so that we can encourage each other with um, the good news that we hear in uh, the pages of Scripture. And we pray that uh, now, as we turn our attention to the things that you say to us, uh, would you please help us to rid ourselves of distractions? And uh, would you please help us by your spirit uh, to not only understand with our minds, but to also receive with our hearts in a way that we will respond to you uh, with faith and repentance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, this morning I want to begin by asking you a very serious question. Hands up if you think the Brontosaurus was a real dinosaur. Up straight up, if you think the Brontosaurus was a real dinosaur, uh, yeah, a number of us uh, think the Brontosaurus was a real dinosaur. Well, uh, I grew up thinking the same thing. Uh, I grew up thinking that the Brontosaurus was a real dinosaur that existed millions of years ago. But uh, I was shocked recently to discover that the Brontosaurus was not actually real. Uh, in fact, what happened was that in the in the late 1800s, um, there was this thing called the Bone Wars, where two paleontologists who didn't like each other were sort of competing uh, in order to publish the most number of papers as possible. And so uh, what one of them did was uh, he fabricated his findings by taking the head of, of one dinosaur and putting it on the body of another large dinosaur that had been found earlier. 
called the Brontosaurus. Now, he was a complete fraud. The Brontosaurus did not exist. But the curious thing is that uh, even though this fraud was actually exposed in the early 1900s, the idea of the Brontosaurus lived on in the popular imagination so that people even to this day believe that it is real. Now, uh, this morning I want to suggest that this is uh, what often happens with our understanding of God. This is what often happens with our understanding of God. Uh, so often we have a God that we have imagined for ourselves. It is very different to the, the true and living God who is revealed for us in the pages of Scripture. Is that true? Uh, so, for example, many people imagine a God who is comfortable, a God who never gets angry, a God who never demands anything from us, a God who is always doting on us, but otherwise doesn't really demand change in our lives. A bit like a doting grandfather. Uh, what is your view of God? Do you have a God of your own imagining? Or do you know the true and living God who is revealed in the Scriptures? Now, uh, as we've heard, uh, we're going to begin a new series today on the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Uh, who was Zechariah? Well, uh, if you have a look at uh, the passage in front of you, uh, just uh, turn to Zechariah chapter 1. You can see there in verse 1 that Zechariah was a prophet of God. In other words, Zechariah was someone who, who spoke the word of God. And so what we are about to hear for the next 12 weeks from the book of Zechariah is not simply the you know, opinions of, of men that we can just easily disregard, but it is what the living and true God has to say to you and to me. Further, you can see again in verse 1 that Zechariah was the son of someone called Berechiah and the grandson of someone called Edo. Now, not, not much is known about the person of, of, of Berechiah, but in another part of the Old Testament called Nehemiah, uh, we learn that Edo was actually the head of a priestly family who had returned to the city of Jerusalem after the exile of God's people in the foreign nation of Babylon. Now, uh, in your church bulletin, uh, I've given you a, a bit of a timeline of the Old Testament, uh, which many of you will be familiar with. Uh, just um, get that out. Um, has everyone got a, a copy of that in their, in their bulletins? Uh, if you memorize the, the basic structure of that timeline, uh, I guarantee you that the Old Testament will make a lot more sense to you. But uh, if you know your Old Testament history, you will know that the exile to Babylon was probably the darkest moment in Israel's history. Now, what happened at that time is that the ruthless Babylonian army invaded Jerusalem, and uh, in, the, in the year 586 BC, they did the unthinkable. 
they destroyed the temple of God, which was the symbol of God's presence in the city of Jerusalem, and they took the people of Jerusalem into exile in the foreign land of, of Babylon, where they would stay in exile for uh, almost 70 years. The shocking thing about this exile, however, was that it was not just, you know, another one of those unfortunate events in world history, but it was actually God's terrifying judgment on his own people for their continued sin and rebellion against him. Uh, in the book of Ezekiel, uh, you might remember that shocking picture where you see God's presence sort of departing from the city of Jerusalem as God abandons his own people. However, you might also know that after about 70 years had passed, that Babylon was replaced by which empire? Can anyone tell me which empire replaced the Babylonian empire as the, the superpower on the world stage? The Persians, yeah. So the Persian Empire became the superpower of the day, and it was King Cyrus of Persia who issued a, a decree that uh, the Jews in Babylon could return back to their homeland in Jerusalem uh, in order to uh, rebuild the temple. And so uh, you can see in your handout, uh, Zechariah is set a number of years after the Jews first returned back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple. And uh, you can work this out because uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, it says there that Zechariah begins his ministry uh, fairly early on in the reign of Darius, who was actually uh, one of the, the kings that followed after uh, King Cyrus of, of Persia. Uh, now, whose eyes are blazing over that this history? History is very important in the Bible, friends. Um, if, if we don't um, understand the history uh, of what happens in the scriptures, um, I think we lose sight of the fact that God is real, Jesus is real, uh, there's a real person and a real Savior uh, who lives in history that we can examine for ourselves. Uh, now, friends, uh, if you have a look at our passage, uh, you can see that. Zechariah's message to the Jews who had returned from exile is that God was very angry with their fathers or the previous generation of, of, of Israel. Now it's there in verse 2, isn't it? It says, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. That's not a very popular view of God these days, is it? It's not much easier to imagine a God who never gets angry. But friends, uh, the God who gets angry with sin is very much part of the fabric of uh, what the Bible reveals to us. Uh, why was God angry with the fathers? Well, quite simply, it was because of their unwillingness to turn back from their sin and rebellion against God. Uh, you can see it there in verse 4, uh, where God you know, sends his prophets time and time again to call on the, on the people to return from their evil ways and their evil deeds. But again and again, the people did not hear 
And again and again, the people did not pay attention to what God had to say. They simply ignored the God who was calling on them to repent. Now, the idea of returning or repenting, as it is sometimes translated, is the idea of, of doing a U-turn. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people uh, who are directionally challenged. Um, I'm absolutely hopeless at knowing which direction I'm going when I'm driving a car. Is anyone else uh, a bit like that? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, a few of us, uh, we all know what it's like. Um, so there have been times where I've actually been driving along in the car and, uh, you know, my wife was sitting next to me very patiently. Uh, after a while, she can't stand it any longer. And so she said to me, honey, uh, I think you're going the wrong way. And so what do I do? Well, um, I can continue going in the wrong direction or I can actually swallow my pride and admit that actually, yeah, that was the wrong direction and do a U-turn so that I start going in the right direction. So that's what repentance is in the Bible. Notice that God's call in verse 4 was for the fathers Turn from their evil ways and their evil deeds. Now, I won't have time to look at all these passages, but basically in the Old Testament, uh, evil, the phrase evil ways is used to describe um, immoral behavior. You know, things like stealing and lying and, and murdering, um, ways of living that goes against God's commandments. Whereas the phrase evil deeds uh, is often used to describe idolatry, uh, which is the worship of other gods instead of the true and living God. And so the real insight from God's word here, I think, is that genuine repentance always involves turning away both from immoral behavior, evil ways, as well as idolatry, evil deeds. God will not accept those who simply, you know, turn away from evil behavior and live a moral life, but refuse to let go of idols so that they continue to worship other gods. But equally, God will not accept those who claim to worship Him and yet simply continue in their immoral behavior, you see. Now, I want to be very clear, friends. Now, if you are here this morning and you claim to worship the God of the Bible, but are living in unrepentant sin and immoral behavior, then God does not accept you. If you claim to worship God, but are unwilling to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend who you are not married to, or to repent of greed in your life, then do not expect that God is your friend. 
But equally, if you are living a moral life, that is, you're, you're a decent person, you don't engage in um, you know, outrageously immoral behavior, but you are still worshiping other things in your life and refusing to make God number one, then equally, do not expect that God is your friend. For genuine repentance means both turning away from immoral behavior, evil ways, as well as from idolatry, evil things. You might have noticed that in this passage, the fathers, um, or the previous generation of Israel, are used as a big warning sign for the people of Zechariah's generation. For in verse 4, they are the ones who refuse to hear or pay attention to God. And in verse 5, Zechariah implies that things did not turn out well for them. You can see there that he asks in verse 5, Your fathers, where are they? Being quite answer, but they are no longer here. Further in verse 5, God says, And the prophets, where are they? If they live forever. I think this is talking uh, not about the true prophets of God, uh, who are often referred to as God's servants, but about false prophets who you know, um, told the people of, of past generations that all was well, even though God was angry with them. And again, the implied answer there is that those prophets are no more. It's not just that they died, for everybody dies, don't they? But it's the fact that these unrepentant people in the previous generation died under the terrifying judgment of God, which has eternal implications. In verse 6, we are told that God's words that he has spoken through the prophets overtook the darkness. Did you notice that? It's a very interesting word, isn't it, uh, to overtake someone. Uh, it's like a high-speed chase where a criminal is trying to get away in a stolen car. I mean, it's, it's you know, they can run, but it's only a matter of time before um, the, the law catches up with them, isn't it? And that's what it's saying here. You can sin and rebel like the previous generation, but make no mistake, God's word will catch up with you. Now, now, friends, if Zechariah warns those who have returned from exile about what happened to their fathers, uh, what message does he bring to his current generation, the generation that he prophesies to? Well, uh, if you have a look at our passage, then you can see that it is precisely the same message that God has spoken to the previous generation, uh, even though they refused to hear. Uh, it's there in verse 3, and uh, I think uh, it, 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 it's this verse that we've seen in our uh, children's talk this morning, isn't it? So why don't we read this together? I think that's a good way to uh, keep us engaged. Um, so after 3, uh, 1, 2, 3, this declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, and I return to you. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 4. That's the message that Zechariah has for 
his current generation. It's the same call to repentance. Now, turn away from your immoral behavior. Turn away from your idolatry and worshiping false gods and trying to be like the other nations around you. But it's much more than just turning away from the bad stuff, isn't it? It's much more personal because it's about returning. It's about turning towards the God who loves them and to worship Him and to love Him and to listen to Him. Notice that God is described three times here as the Lord of hosts. Uh, literally, in the original language, it's the Lord of armies. For in the Old Testament, God frequently sends uh, his armies in order to destroy his enemies. And so the message is you don't want to play games with this God, you want to listen to him. He is the Lord of hosts. And so it is. But my brothers and sisters, uh, here's the extraordinarily wonderful thing uh, in this passage. Uh, this is really the gospel according to Zechariah. For can you see there that God's call for the people of Zechariah's day to repent is matched by this promise that those who repent can expect God himself to repent. If you return to God, God himself will return to you. What does it mean for God to repent? Well, it's not the same thing as human repentance, is it? I mean, human repentance is about turning away from sin and uh, turning to God. But God doesn't sin. And so what is he turning away from? Well, I think if you have a look at this passage, uh, the answer is fairly clear uh, in, in the six verses that were given to us. Um, for if you remember, what we are told in this passage is that God was very angry with the previous generation of Israel. And so what does God's repentance mean? Well, it means that he is willing to turn away from his own anger at sin when people come to him in repentance. And to embrace the repentant person with open arms. Uh, now, it's interesting that God's words to Israel's fathers uh, through the prophets is exactly the same word uh, to Zechariah's generation. But I want to suggest that God's word to Zechariah's generation is exactly the same message that God has to speak to us. For in the New Testament, uh, do you remember what Jesus says in his very first sermon? Do you remember what he says in, the, in his very first sermon as he begins his adult ministry? Well, in Mark chapter 1, he says, these words, which uh, may be familiar to me. He says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
you see what he's saying. Right? So if you want to be part of God's kingdom, then you need to repent and believe in the gospel that Jesus is God's king. You see, repentance and belief are just two sides of the same coin, aren't they? You can't believe that Jesus is really king unless you repent. And you won't really repent unless you believe that Jesus is really the king of your life. And so, God's word is to repent. Turn away from your immorality and greed. Turn away from your idolatry and the things that, that you and I make number one in our lives in the place of God. And return to him and he will return to you. And receive you with open arms. Friends, that is the breathtaking promise of the gospel, isn't it? The promise of the Christian gospel is that if you return to God, He will return to you. For Jesus has died on the cross to pay for sin, your sin, my sin, once and for all. Why? Well, in order to turn away God's anger from us and to pave the way for God to accept us to Himself with open arms. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, the Apostle John uh, says these wonderful words. He says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, many of you know what the word propitiation means. Uh, we've talked about this word uh, quite a lot over the years at church. But for others, uh, this might be the first time you're hearing this uh, strange word, propitiation. Uh, it's, a, it's a word that we don't use very often, but uh, it's a very common concept. Uh, it's all about turning away anger. Uh, you know, I don't know what your love language is, uh, but um, uh, let me tell you this morning that my love language is gifts. If ever you want to make me feel loved, uh, send me a gift, and uh, I'll feel very loved uh, by you. Um, but a few years ago, uh, I woke up on my birthday, and uh, I got very angry because um, I didn't see any gifts uh, from, from my family. And so I felt very unloved uh, for that whole morning. Uh, I just spent the day sulking. But when I got home that evening, uh, my wife, you know, I don't know why she left it till the end of the day, but she, you know, gave me uh, a wonderful gift. And uh, the, the righteous anger of Huey was just, uh, was just kind of turned away so that all was, was right. Uh, that's sort of what happens at the cross. God has every right to be angry with us because in our sin and rebellion, uh, we not only hurt God, but we hurt others that He loves. We make a mess of this world that He has created. But on the cross, Jesus pays the perfect sacrifice for our sin so that God, in receiving Jesus' sacrifice, turns away His anger. 
And so some of you are here, and you are not converted. Uh, you come to church. You might even be living a moral life. But you have not returned to God in your heart so that you are willing to worship and serve Him and do more than just the bare minimum. Because you are worshipping other gods like career or family or the myriad other things that the world chasing after. That's just like the previous generation of Unlike them, you have time to repent. And so God's word to you this morning is to repent. Do that you turn. Turn away, not just from your immoral behavior and your worship of other things in your life to make God number one, but turn to God. And God's promise to you is that if you do this, he will But repentance is not simply something we do, you know, once in our life when we first become a Christian. I mean, that's when the capital R repentance happens. That's when, you know, the whole orientation of our life happens, where we were living in a way that completely ignored God, but we do that big turnaround and we start to worship God and to live His way. But as we live our Christian lives, we find that we often fall into sin. And so repentance is the way we continue in our Christian lives, confident that those who repent, God will return. And friends, I want to say that uh, this is very important because uh, I don't know whether you are like this as well, but uh, when I find myself failing again and again and again to the same sin, or when I discover that I let God down again in my life, uh, it's easy not to return to God. It's very easy not to return to God because we often imagine God to be a stern and harsh and reluctant to forgive kind of God who wouldn't want anything to do with us. We sometimes view God in this way. Often we imagine God to be a frowning, finger-wagging, quick-to-condemn God who will not have time for people like me. No. Can you see what God says in this passage? He says, if you return to me, I guarantee that I will return to you. God is just like that father in the parable of the prodigal son that uh, was just read out for us earlier. When the wayward son returns, what does God do? He doesn't simply say, get away from me, you piece of filth. But he calls him my son. And he receives him back with open arms. Now, uh, if God's message to Zachariah's generation was to repent, what is it exactly that 
God wanted them to be Gentiles. I mean, that would seem that God had called the previous generation of Israel to repent of their evil ways and their evil deeds. But there's actually very little evidence that the Jewish people who returned to Jerusalem were involved in um, you know, collectively uh, gross immorality or the worship of foreign idols. And so what is it exactly that God wanted them to repent of? Well, uh, we're not really told in this passage, are we? Uh, we're not given uh, too much detail in this particular passage. But uh, I want you to come with me uh, to the book of Haggai, which is just the, the book previous to or prior to the book of Zechariah. Um, Haggai was a prophet who prophesied roughly at the same time as the prophet Zechariah. And uh, if you go to Haggai chapter 1 and turn to verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4, you can start to see what the problem was with the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 4, God says, Is it a time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, which is referring to God's temple, lies in ruins? Or come down with me to chapter 1, verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because my house or temple that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. You see what God is saying? You see, friends, God had brought his people back from Babylon into their own city so that they could build the temple, which was to be a magnificent structure representing God's presence among his people. God had actually reconfigured world history. He had moved nations and empires in order to bring his people back to their own land so that they can start this building project. But here they were, not doing the work, you see. I mean, rather than getting busy with building the temple, they were simply getting busy getting on with their own lives and building their own houses and thinking about themselves. Friends, of course, uh, we are not called to build a physical temple uh, like the Jews of Zechariah's day. But in the gospel, and as God's people, we are given the great privilege of taking part in God's great building project, aren't we? We are given the great privilege of participating in the building of God's kingdom, or the church, which is God's temple today. We are called to build by sharing the gospel so that others can come into this wonderful kingdom. We are called to pray and to take an interest in this building project, not only in this small patch in Strathfield, but 
all around the world. We are given the great privilege of gathering together regularly, week by week, at church and in our growth groups and in other meetings that we have, so that we can build each other up and encourage each other as we speak the good news of Jesus to one another. In fact, this work is so important that God has moved heaven and earth at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ to make it happen. But it's so easy to get caught up in our own lives, isn't it? So that we can collect this work. Now, I don't think, friends, the point of God's word this morning is to make us all feel guilty for living in a nice house or, you know, putting in that new kitchen last year. But the problem is that we are the people that can so easily become absorbed in our own lives, building our houses, living for the best holidays, living for our comforts, doing everything the world says is exciting, that we neglect the work that God has given us to do. It is very possible to play the religious game just like our father, you know, the fathers, but have not returned to the Lord in a way that worships him and makes his building project the priority of our lives. Are you someone who has neglected the work that God has given you to do? Are you disinterested in the work of building God's kingdom? Do you take God's work so lightly that you only come to church to build others up if it's convenient and there's nothing else going on in your life? And you're so busy living your own life that God's work gets squeezed out of the future. If so, and please hear God carefully. He says, repent. Well, this morning I began by saying that like the Brontosaurus, we can often have an imaginary God in our heads rather than the true and living God of the Bible. Now, what is your view of God? Do you worship a God who never gets angry with sin? never demands change in your life, or do you worship the true and living God who is angry with unrepentant sinners and who demands repentance and change? Will you leave this morning simply thinking that there will come a day when I can do the changing, do the repenting? Or will you take God at his word and repent of your sin and my sin? the neglect of doing this work. For God will not forgive the unrepentant. But those who do turn to him, those who do do that new turn, there is the wonderful promise that he will never turn away from you. And so return to me, says the Lord of us, and I will return to you. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today from the book of Zechariah. We thank you that your word 
It's not a dead word from the past, but a living and active word that pierces um, our pretensions and our barriers and reveals to us our sin and what we are really like. And Father, we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he died on the cross for our sins so that we might return to you. And we thank you so much that in Zechariah we can see your wonderful heart that you desire your people to return. And we see your promise that those who return to you are your return away. And so we pray that this promise of grace and mercy will drive us to repent of our evil deeds and evil ways and help us this morning to respond to you in a way, in this way, and to know the joy of knowing you as a father who is quick to forgive.